questions aren't really about getting an answer. They're about opening up to us the process by which we arrive at an answer. So the question's more about clarification. The question I'm going to ask you right now is a question some years ago I asked a friend of mine, and actually it made him rather irate, so I hope it doesn't have that same effect on you. I think the reason that it made him angry is he was the son of some mythical creatures. If you ever watched Fox News, the mythical creature that you might hear every once in a while, or the Upper West Side intellectual academic liberals. And he was the son of two of these, and I think this is why the question made him sort of mad. The question that we posed was in the context of a larger conversation, and the question was what was most important about being alive. And the way that I phrased this question was this. If you had the choice, would you rather be intelligent and cruel or dull and kind? If you had the choice, would you rather be intelligent and cruel or dull and kind? And perhaps because my friend was the parent of, was the child of academics, he didn't want to answer the question because he didn't want to have to choose that he wanted to maintain his intelligence, but that was at the cost of him being cruel. Now, obviously, this is not an either or question that we answer for ourselves in our lives. We hope it's both and, but it is a clarifying question, how we answer it about what we hold in the highest of esteem. And I thought about this a few years back, maybe a decade ago, when a survey came out, the results of which were this, that our Unitarian Universalist youth in the aggregate throughout our denomination had the average highest SAT scores of kids from any American denomination. And a couple years after that, I was in a UU-associated chat room online, and one of the people there said, you know what, this is brilliant stuff, this is fantastic, we should make this the centerpiece of our next national ad campaign. <laughs> Folks, we got a ways to go. The proper response, I think, to the fact, and it's neither good nor bad, it just is, to the fact that our kids have the average highest SAT scores of any American denomination is this, that no one should care how much we know until they know how much we care. That is more important. More thoughtfulness, yes. Greater respect for difficult questions, yes. In our society, I would like to see both of these things. But simply adding IQ points to our intelligence or taking pride that maybe we have the most, it is exactly that. It is pride and a false pride. So for me, my answer was ultimately this, that even with my academic background, I would choose to be kind and dull if forced to make the choice. Because if you are kind, even though you are not smart, you may still be wise. But if you are cruel, even if intelligent, you cannot be wise at all. There is a difference between intelligence and wisdom. And that's what this entire message series about virtues is all about. One of the thinkers I really like, a guy named Martin Seligman, who teaches at UPenn and is the quote-unquote founder of what they call the School of Positive Psychology. He was really frustrated, and some of you might know his story, he was really frustrated with the entire sort of lineage of modern psychology, which he said took too much of its note from Freud, which focused on the 50% of life that took us from being absolutely catatonic to functional neurotic. 
He said there's a whole other 50% of life that is about thriving. And he, as a social scientist, when he started to do his study, what he found out, much to his chagrin at first, because he has spent his life in the academy, is the, the intellectual virtues don't necessarily make you happier. In fact, they can make you unhappier. He found one thing, though, that across all kinds of communities, across all kinds of people, and across all kinds of cultures, the one thing that made people happy in a real long-lasting sense was this, the opportunity to experience kindness and receive and give kindness in long-lasting friendships and relationships of value. I thought of this when I was reading just this past week Emerson, who is probably the most gigantic intellect of our Unitarian Universalist heritage. And he was writing about friendship, but in a way that made me kind of sad. In this essay, he starts with this statement. We have a great deal more kindness than is ever spoken. We have a great deal more kindness than is ever spoken. How many that we see in the street or sit with in church, whom though silently we warmly rejoice to be with. The scholar sits down to write, and all their years of work do not furnish them with one good thought or happy expression. But then it is necessary to write a letter to a friend. And because of that, troops of gentle thoughts invest themselves on every hand and with every word. Emerson is sort of the archetype of the intelligent and yet cruel person. The more people knew him, the less they were beloved by him or with him. He did not have a gift for kindness. And the reason that this passage makes me sad is that it seems he wants to give himself more permission to be kind. The kindness unspoken that he wishes he could speak. Kindness, more than any of the other virtues, is an absolutely daily practice. See, courage is often bold, sometimes even strident, perhaps, and world-changing. Generosity can be absolutely extravagant at the same time it can be small. But kindness always maintains its still small voice. You cannot be kind and trample or at least not pay attention to the things that are underfoot. Kindness cannot overlook the basic things or it ceases to be kindness. Kindness knows the truth that to know something and not to do something is in fact not to know it at all in the first place. This is what Paul is getting at in Hey Jude. And by the way, he wrote this. He wrote this after John, his primary songwriting partner, had left his wife and his child, basically completely abandoned them. And this is what Paul is encouraging Julian Lennon. Jude worked better for the song, so he went with Jude instead. Don't you know that's a fool who plays it cool by making his world a little colder? Basically, what he's saying is, you've been dumped on. Do not start to retreat from life. Remain kind. Retain your gift for kindness. There is no kindness in a poker face is what he is telling young Julian. See, a cool fool remains a fool all by themselves. The gift of being a kind fool is that your foolishness is all around you for everyone to see. In terms of the gospel of the Beatles, I think kindness is really about choosing your inner Paul versus your inner John. I got to tell you, I like the songs 
of John Lennon a lot more. The more you read about John Lennon, he was kind of a jerk. He absolutely was. Paul was not. And so for me, the difference between Paul and John is really the difference between kindness and coolness, between empathy and distance, and which one we are drawn to in this life. It was one of the most fun things I did when I was an undergrad is that I like to remind my friends who were really, really, really big fans of Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher who wrote so often so much about transcending all values. And really what this was was an excuse for 19-year-old boys not to give a crap about other people, which, by the way, a lot of 19-year-old boys are really good at anyway. (laughs) But when you can couch it in the terms of Nietzsche... And transcending all values, well, then you can make a virtue out of what is very much a vice. I always took a certain amount of pleasure in terms of reminding my friends who were enthralled by Nietzsche that Nietzsche's last public act, literally before he lost his mind, was a repudiation of the kind of cruelty found in his thought. It was an act of deep, soul-stirring kindness. He was on vacation in Italy, and he saw a man mercilessly flogging a horse who had fallen in the street. And Nietzsche's response was not coolness. Rather, he went up and threw his arms around this fallen horse and wept and refused to let go until the beating stopped. This is not coolness. Kindness is, in fact, an expression of compassion. Now, compassion literally is a means sharing someone else's suffering. So kindness is bigger than that. Kindness is not just sharing another person's suffering or a horse's suffering. Kindness is valuing someone else's journey as much as you value your journey and not just valuing it, not just knowing that it's most important, as important as you are, but expressing it. Taking the time to express that another person's life is as important to you as your own and worthy, worthy of your care and attention. The Talmud, the sacred texts of rabbinic Judaism, say this. And the texts in Talmud, pages and pages and pages of trying to get to what are the roots, the root meanings of all the commandments within Judaism. It says this simply, though. The deeds of kindness are equal in weight to all of the commandments. They broke it down to kindness. The Dalai Lama breaks it down even further. My religion is kindness, he says. My religion is kindness. Emma Goldman, who was, as some of you know, a political activist, she said once when she found that the social movement she was part of was becoming far too serious, far too just too much focused on the parts of life that were difficult and not leaving enough room for the parts of life that were fun. She said, if I can't dance, I don't want to be part of your revolution. Well, I think it's also true what I feel. If you are not kind, I do not want to be part of your religion. Because of this, I must tell you what is the favorite part of my week. The favorite part of my week is when I am mostly silent. It is the hospitality at the start of our worship service. It is the time when I see kindness spread all throughout this room. When I see people not just greeting each other and moving on to the next person, but actually looking into each other's eyes and seeing in there a kind of, kind of communion. I love the raucousness. I love the energy. I love having to shout you down from your kindness so we can get on with the rest of the service. That, for me, is one of the high points of my week. And I told a colleague about this, 
I told a colleague that, in fact, we welcome that charged full kindness of the soul every week. We want to hear it. I want to have to yell over it. And actually for us, how it's not just something that we do, it's an expression of our mission. A community charged full with the charge of the soul, that becomes most real when that kindness is spread out amongst this room and the noise of your joy raises to the rafters. And he was interested in this. I've been to his church. Let's just say they do hospitality a little bit different. How are you, sir? How are you, sir? And ultimately, he thought, well, that might be good to try, but the culture at my church, we're too, we're too stuffy for that. I know a lot of people at this church. They're not. They have a lot of Emerson's kindness that is unspoken. We're not any more kind than they are. We just expect that we will express it to and with each other. It reminds me of a number of years ago when it was my first Christmas Eve, Teresa, that you and I were here, and we went to a church in our area for Christmas Eve, a Christian church. This is Christmas Eve. I mean, Christmas Eve, I mean, I'm not a traditional Christian in any way. I draw a lot of strength from the Christian tradition, but I am not a dogmatic Christian. This is Christmas Eve. This is the birth of their Lord and Savior. You might have thought you were walking into a funeral. So stiff. No joy. A lot of blazers and the faint whiff of scotch. (laughs) And I thought, ah, these are the people for whom the phrase God's frozen people was chosen. (laughs) And I did think after it, sadly, of Emerson. We have a great deal more kindness than has ever spoken. What are we saving it for? Maybe sometimes we save it because kindness makes us feel vulnerability. Kindness has the same root word as obviously kind, but also kind in the sense of kin, in the sense of belonging to each other, in the sense of being part of a greater human family, of our relatedness. In the most famous, most well-selling Unitarian book there ever was by Robert Fulgham, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. It's not an accident that if you take a look at that book, so many of the lessons are about kindness. Sometimes kids have more permission to just express their natural kindness than we as adults do. Because kindness means that you are not afraid to let your roots show the roots that connect us all, each to the other. Unfortunately, for some of us as adults, and maybe on this day, this Mother's Day, we can reflect on the fact that some of us got our first messages about kindness from our moms or our dads, and maybe they were great messages and sometimes maybe not so great messages. For a lot of adults, sometimes it's almost like a game of emotional chicken. Who's going to be kind first? Who's going to show their hand first? Who's going to go beyond that poker face or that mask of letting people know how you really are and expressing that concern, that care for another person. Because fear, sometimes the vulnerability, sometimes of other people, fear crowds out kindness, absolutely. It was my first week when I was at the Hill School, which was still a single-sex, elite and elitist kind of boarding school up in Pottstown that many of you know of. And I got to tell you that first week when I was there, and actually for many weeks after, I kind of felt like flounder in Animal House. You guys playing cards? You know, I mean, that kind of awkwardness. Every conversation that I was in, I felt like I was a 
bumbling, stumbling, spastic gymnastics of my own awkwardness. Well, after a while, I thought, okay, if I can't be cool, then at least maybe I can be kind, or at the very least, unoffensive. And so on the first day that I was showing up after orientation had started, I was walking through a group of other students on my way to, we were all, I mean, a lot of us were very, very privileged sons, but we all had jobs on campus, and I was going to my first job as a waiter in the dining hall. And to this group that I had to pass through in the doorway, and I'm sorry if this language offends you, but it offended me, and more than anything else, I was shocked by it. And I said, excuse me. And one of the guys turned to the side, turned to his friend and said, okay, let the faggot go by. Now, in this world, that was about the worst thing that you could be called. That you were soft. That you were really a man. Of course, now, and for years, I recognize this is absolute, utter nonsense. But I got to tell you what my first response was. I went out and I got a poster for my wall in my room, in my dorm room. I think it was Kelly LeBrock in a bikini, sort of straddling a car or something. Oh, what an idiot. But what I was trying to do was protect myself, make myself feel less vulnerable. I mean, I was a straight kid. I wasn't a terribly successful straight kid. But at least if I knew I didn't want to harden my heart, at least I could harden my exterior and feel I could sort of play the game. Well, the cost of playing this game is, on the personal level, painful, and on a larger level, tragic. One of the most telling passages in all of the Hebrew Scriptures are the repeated moments after Moses goes to Pharaoh... And says, essentially, let my people go. Let my people go so they may be free. And the text doesn't say over and over again, Pharaoh didn't do this because he wanted the free slave labor. And he didn't do this because he clung to power. What it said that over and over again, what Pharaoh did is Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. You can see that maybe he had the kindness he wanted to show, but instead, Pharaoh... Hardened his heart. Now, very often the response to receiving hardness of heart in this life is to respond with the giving of hardness of heart or a rebuke to our own natural kindness. Kindness it follows the logic of W.H. Auden, and he was not endorsing this view, but it's one of my favorite lines of poetry because too often it is descriptive. He said, I and the public know what all school children learn. Those to whom evil is done do evil in return. That is a recipe for the hardness of heart. Kindness ultimately says no to this logic. Kindness says no to this reasoning. And today I'd just like you to think of all the people, whether it was your mom or your dad or a teacher, the people who taught you to say no to this kind of logic of greeting a world that has treated you with hardness of heart, with hardness of heart in kind. So actually what I want to do right now is show you my three, I don't want to say greatest, but three of my favorite teachers of kindness, reminding me to be kind. 
the three little pigs. Consider this part of my porcine redemption project after all the bad press they've gotten because of the swine flu. <laughs> but the story of the three little pigs is actually it's the three prodigal pigs, just like the story of the prodigal son from the Christian scriptures. Those two pigs say, no, we're going to loll around. We're not going to build our house. You know, you've got the whole story. And then finally, the wolf comes and knocks over those houses, and they look for shelter. And the act of that third pig is all about kindness. He very easily could have shown them hardness of heart. Pull yourself out by your own bootstraps. You didn't save it for a rainy day. It's time for you to suffer the consequences. Because kindness very often, folks, is about not getting what we deserve, but even more getting what we don't deserve. Kindness reaches beyond the idea of merit and into the reality of grace. My favorite metta meditation, the loving kindness meditation from the Buddhist tradition, is one that's transcribed and spoken by Sharon Salzberg. Some of you may know her, the Buddhist teacher. And the mantra that goes throughout the meditation is, may you live in safety, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. And you sort of start with yourself, and then you work outward to someone you love, and then you work outward to someone you know, and then the really challenging part, you work out to someone you don't like at all. And then ultimately, you try to work out to the whole world. And this is how she describes the effect of this loving-kindness meditation can be upon our hearts. We connect into these phrases, aiming the heart in this way. We are opening ourselves to the possibility of including rather than excluding, of connecting rather than overlooking, of caring rather than being indifferent. And ultimately, we open in this way to all beings everywhere without distinction, without separation. Kindness is about that practice of unscaling our own hearts of not hardening them so that they can be responsive when they are needed. Years after that homophobic little encounter with the guy in the doorway at Hill School, I was in my first ministry, and I had before me, I think, in my second full week there, a guy who could have been the guy who threw that slur at me. He was six foot four, and athletic, had actually gone to one of our competitor schools from the Hill School. I know he'd been a lacrosse player and a football player. He had been a stud, everything I wasn't. <laughs> but he was sitting in front of me with tears running down his face. Broken home, a broken heart, broken dream, a failed marriage, and returning just four years after he had left home, back to live with his parents. A failed marriage and a struggling life, all that he would be able to tell at that point of who he was. And sitting there in front of me, my, well, I would have been a really bad minister and even worse than that, a bad person. But what I remembered in that moment were those words of Plato. Be kind. For everyone is fighting a great battle. When you do not harden your heart, you can recognize that everyone in some way is fighting a great battle. It may not be your battle, but it is a great battle. 
and you can respond to it with kindness. So perhaps in this time in your life, when there are many, many stresses for all of us, we might find that we want to close down our hearts, if not outright harden them, that we want to tune off and turn out and turn away, because caring is just something that takes even more effort in a life that already takes a lot of effort. But the next time you have an opportunity to express kindness to someone, especially someone you don't know very well, I would ask that you ask yourself this question. What great battle are they fighting? And what act of kindness from you do they need so that they might take a step towards wholeness again? What kindness to you, from you maybe don't they even deserve? But what kindness from you might not just make their day, but in fact allow the light to shine again in their lives. Be kind. Amen. May you learn blessing.